Hello, welcome again to the Body Talk podcast. My name's Alina Jenkins, and we created this series specifically for our clients to bring extra value and insights around the world of communication. So we've spoken about so many things in this series, from mindset and confidence to presenting in meetings and conferences. And you may well remember that a few years ago, I spoke to some hostage negotiators around the subject of conflict resolution. And it's something which comes up very often in our training. We have specific modules to help our clients with dealing with conflict and dealing with those difficult conversations. I like to call it actually having more meaningful and deeper conversations, which is why I'm really excited to introduce our guest on this episode. Talib Fisher is an educator and therapist from the USA. He specializes in relational and trauma resolutions. He's a leader of the PATH retreats processes in both Europe and South America, and he studies psychology at Arizona State University, also at Osho Academy in Sedona, Arizona, and at Osho International in India. Talib is also a father, and he sees his journey with his family as the best place for personal growth and development. And he's been working with people for nearly two decades and is passionate about sharing his experiences of integrating understandings from both the Eastern and Western approaches to human development. Talib, welcome along. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Really excited to speak to you, Talib, and your experiences in in the work that you do around how we can help people have those better conversations. So to start with, can you just give us an idea of, of, of your background and what it is that you do with your clients to help them in these situations? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm, as I was saying to you before, I'm originally born in London, actually, and grew up in the States. And I studied originally in the States, but then I took me all over the world, really. I think my best studies were in India, actually, when I really, I loved the psychology of the West, but I was really fascinated with the philosophy and psychology of the East because they brought a whole new perspective, let's say, as the West studies the mind and, and behavior so much. The East was more going. Uh, let's say, into a watchful state of the mind, into a, a witnessing state of the mind, which was a fascinating approach because it wasn't so much interested in fixing the mind, but more shifting perspective of the conditioned mind. And I loved that approach. I thought that that was giving me real healing tools to help people to understand themselves ultimately. And the mix between the two cultures or or was giving, let's say, a greater depth of insight into the human nature in my perspective. Uh, so, and that that then translated in a great longing to help people. I was studying in in, in a in a place which was doing very intense therapeutic work, and from around the world, it was really a, a place of of that was attracting some of the top therapists in the world. And I was in participating in the group therapies at that time and training myself and just fascinated to see what was possible with people and, and the, the magnitude of the power of the work of using different modalities of breath, of meditation, of um, all different types of therapy approaches from rebirthing to primal therapies to 
Vipassana meditations is really was a blending of the East and the West. And, and to see the transformation in people was incredibly inspiring for me. And it's not just individual work, but group work also. And to see the human potential in, in real time and seeing what is actually our capacity to evolve emotionally, psychologically, it was incredibly inspiring. And that awakened a great passion for me to share that knowledge and experience that I had during those years. I think many people are are fascinated with that, that blend perhaps of, of Western and Eastern philosophies. How do you find that your, your clients adapt to that? Do you have people coming along to you perhaps very much in the Western frame of mind and maybe introducing them to, to that different philosophy? Do you sometimes get people coming from, you know, who are very much spiritual and, and perhaps wanting to move into a Western side of the philosophy? Absolutely. I mean, I deal with mostly Western people in that way or Western minds. And I, I like, I like to work with all kinds of people because everybody has a different entry point. You know, some people are more uh, cognitive or mental based and they need to enter themselves through the mind. Other people are more emotional based where they need to enter more through feeling or more through the body. And other people are more, they have a different, let's say a window into themselves. And I love to find the window in people because that's really where you meet people in such a deep way and everyone's unique and even and i love that about traveling around the world to see that people are the window into themselves is it can be unique and different but once we get inside it's incredible to see the universal uh, humanity in all of us doesn't matter if you're the what culture or their background or conditioning when we come into a certain base humanity we 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 can relate to each other on such a deeper level and i like that very much so i i receive people from all over the world and and i enjoy that very much when i'm in brazil i work with brazilians in a different way when i'm in sweden i work with swedes in a different way or in the states the americans the i was going to ask you how does this then tie in with developing emotional intelligence which i know is something that you're you're deeply passionate about i think that's something that we're born with in a way you know and some people are some that imprint of emotional intelligence comes very young, you know, and mostly of how we relate to the environment and how we were approached in an emotional intelligent way leaves an imprint on us as children. And then therefore adults, like when we, when our caregivers have, have had emotional intelligence and they've shared that type of empathy or that type of attunement with us, then it's something that's extracted from our biology more than if we didn't receive that, then it's something that almost that the nervous system needs to learn again. It, but it's, it's hardwired inside us. It's there in the brain. We're designed for that type of empathy, that type of capacity to read subtle cues of the emotional expression of others and emotions and, and, and having that it's ingrained in our, in, in, ingrained in our mammal biology to, to read through mirror neurons and, and to pick up the signals of um, the with other people in a way. But sometimes those signals have been blocked because they haven't been really extracted yet from the individuals because of their own up, upbringing. And I like the, in some way, the challenge of that, because I know that we're hardwired for that. So I know that 
the person I'm with is their, their body is designed for that. And then it's the, the kind of adventure and journey. Okay. How do we extract that quality from that person, which their body is designed for, even if they might be shut down or not connected so particularly to that because they had an adaptative strategy to survive not having that, which is mm. quite can be even traumatic for a child to not have that type of attunement, that type of mirroring and, and to, to then to create an, an, an a, a situation where you can bring that back online. That's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to experience when someone comes into reconnection with their emotional intelligence. It's like the life becomes colorful all of a sudden. They, they might be living in black and white and all of a sudden they're seeing colors again. And that's just wonderful to be around, to have that experience with somebody. I'm fascinated by what you're saying there, Talib, because I've worked with a number of clients who've said, I, I'm just not an empathic person. But for you to say, you know, it is hardwired in us. So it's it's perhaps through the nurturing or the lack of nurturing maybe as a child that that that, that emotional intelligence that that empathy um starts starts to recede so where where would you start with someone who might come along to you and say i just i i find it very hard to empathize i just don't have that emotional connection with someone how do you begin to reconnect with what was there at the at birth that that's a good question and and like i was saying before each individual is unique in a way so mm. the entry point might be different some people like it's very some sometimes people have a very challenged time to feel their their body like they're not in they're they somehow haven't really landed in the physical body and therefore they're maybe very mental because that's where how they could adapt to the environment was becoming mental and so then, therefore, I would go through their mind, I would go through their mental, their images, their thoughts, their things, and then I would, I would bring them gently into the body. What is the body's experience in, in the moment and start what we call titrating. It's like giving little, little drops of contact to the body, because ultimately the body is the, is actually the sensory mechanism, which enables people to perceive other people's internal sense of self it's actually the body's it comes from wiring in the body which connects of course to the brain but that actually feels people from the inside otherwise i can think about and i can look at you i could think oh you're wearing this nice dress your hair is i can think about you in a way but i don't necessarily feel what you're feeling inside you i don't I don't get those messages of I'm just in the cognitive capacity of myself. So in some way, it's a, like a training their awareness to start picking up signals from their own body, sensations of heat, of coolness, of tingling. Uh, I, I work with people what we call the felt sense perception, which is a, like if I asked you to find your right foot, but not look at it right now. And you would then locate it. It might take a second or two, but you would find it. And then I could ask you, does it have a temperature? Does it have a sensation? And then you would probably, yeah, it's cold, warm. And you would start engaging the felt sense. And then I would kind of guide you to start tracking that a little bit. And your focus would start 
connecting it, it literally starts connecting the brain to that capacity of the nervous system which is it starts to feeling sense of ourself and with practice that starts to extract that capacity and therefore i can use that capacity to start perceiving what other people are feeling because the nervous system starts picking up the signals from others because that's just how we are wired so would, would you say that that um, ability to try and connect emotionally with with someone else, that that ability to to know yourself first and that ability to empathize is one of the key things when it comes to dealing with traumatic or difficult or conflict conversations? It's a complex question in certain ways, because sometimes when people are traumatized, coming into the body is is a is a very delicate contact to be made because there can be memories in the body also which are very difficult to be with that's many times why people disconnected from the body because whatever they were experiencing and feeling in the body was too much too fast too soon too overwhelming so they so the strategy to survive was to go to the the, the mind where there's no feeling sense so but to reconnect to people and, and to, so, so that's one part is to help someone to navigate in the body safely to, to where we can find sensations which are comfortable to feel. And then from that island of comfort, we can then touch into uncomfortable sensations, which we can build resilience to then be in the body, which is not always pleasant to be in the body. It's, it's also uncomfortable and sometimes challenging to be in a feeling sense of ourselves, especially when we're dealing with strong emotions. It's so there's a, there's an intelligent reason to not be in the body according to if we don't have the resources and resilience to be so. So, so one thing is dealing with trauma in the body. Do you feel that, that empathy and, and having that emotional connection with someone is a really good starting point for dealing with, with conflict or difficult conversations? Yes. So I think it's, I think it's essential because if we don't feel felt and heard and seen in some level by the person, we don't really feel safe. And if we don't feel safe, we can't really open up to resolve conflicts. We can't really open up to talk about my vulnerability or things that are challenging for me or what I'm facing in an honest way. So to, to to repair or to 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 repair conflict and ultimately we need to be able to navigate in vulnerability inside ourselves we need to be able to share what was painful what was hurtful what shut me down with you let's say and in in a way where you don't want to attack me back you don't want to keep being defensive and, and defending your point of view, but that you can shift into a, a state of empathy with me when I share with you what was difficult, let's say. And, and when I can do that from an authentic place in myself, where I can share what I'm feeling, what I would have needed, what was challenging for me without blaming you, but maybe sharing with you because I know myself and I've, and I've worked a bit with myself emotionally, I might know about my sensitivities, my wounds, my, my, my delicacies emotionally of being not understood or not seen or 
things from my own past that when I get triggered, let's say in a relationship at work or at home, that I can come to that person and I can share with them a little bit about me and, and why that triggers me. Why, when you say that to me, or you use that tone of voice that it triggers me so much and makes me defensive and makes me shut down when I can share about that and not bring the, the, the charge of, of, of my defense system into the conversation, then the other person will naturally start shifting into a state of empathy because they can start feeling your vulnerability. They start feeling that you're, you're not attacking them. You're not blaming them. There's their defense system, their protection system doesn't can bring the soldiers down. They don't need to stand guard and, and, and defend their point of view. And, and that's an alchemic response from the tone of voice, from the subtle expressions and the micro expressions in the face that, that the person starts from mirror neurons again, starts picking up that the person's not attacking me, they're being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that starts to awaken uh, a response of empathy from the person. And when that happens, we move into what we call like a social like, like a capacity to be in contact with trust with each other, where I can then move into, I don't need to protect myself that I'm being loved. I'm being trust. There's trust here. There's safety here. And therefore I can reveal myself. And when we do that repair is possible. We can actually then repair relationships. We can, there's a feeling like, Oh, I'm seen. You know, there's so many times clients come to me from like at work or something and, and they're not being seen by their employer or they're not being seen by their manager. And and it's and it's really um, it's quite something from the outside to see how well the, this manager is going to lose such a great person because he just doesn't do simple things like, hey, how are you feeling today? Or I notice you're a bit stressed. What's happening with you? You know, these little, little subtle things that make whole world where the person feels seen, they feel understood. They feel like somebody's actually picking up the signals that they're not, they're not doing so well today. Not just say, Hey, your bottom line is down. If you don't change this, we're going to fire you. That's, you know, it's like, Hey, what's happening with you? Are you okay? Is everything okay at home? Well, I noticed that your numbers are down. What's, are you okay? That's just a huge difference for the person. You know? Yeah. And I find, I'm sure you find this as well, Talib, is, is that we don't do this very well in business. And you've been speaking um, so, so beautifully about the way that our brain works. And you were saying, you know, about, about how we get defensive. And I imagine that's kind of linked to our very primal brain, fight or flight, that, that brain stem is, do I feel safe yes. or am I being attacked? Um, and then, of course, the, the, the more recently formed part of the brain, the, the neocortex is where we live a lot in business. Well, let's just stick to the logic. And what is it that we need to do? And what we're missing out yes. is that limbic part of the brain, that emotional connection, which also, and you've mentioned yes. some, some things there around being vulnerable and, and people I think often in business will shy away from being vulnerable because they see it as a weakness. I don't know about you. I think vulnerability is a great strength, particularly for building trust as well. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think it's, it's when we bring in the science, we can see that it's a fact. I mean, the vulnerability is the way that the brain recognizes that I belong and that I'm, I'm accepted. And I'm therefore, you, you start to extract the best out of people when we can do that. 
And and when people start, in some way, I, I see it as it's a it's an old conditioning from a male, let's say, a male dominated society, which was quite. I can use the word with with respect was quite castrated in a way the masculine to be like a macho man which shouldn't cry which shouldn't show feelings which should be logical and was never um, validated that men are actually extremely sensitive just like women and 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 actually quite and, and very vulnerable just like women but we were never as men we were never allowed to be vulnerable men don't cry men don't show feelings it's weak and and therefore to fit in to survive needed to shut down that capacity and were you could just say bullied uh, which is is very traumatizing uh, but nevertheless then adapted some male identity which was completely shutting down vulnerability and excelling in logic so you have like and then now the women start coming more and more into of course into the into their power and start bringing that quality which is they have a different conditioning around being vulnerable women are allowed to be vulnerable they're allowed to cry for example they might not like that to show that because they have their own judgments of that being weak or they're trying to fit into uh, an environment which is not safe, let's say, to be vulnerable. But when we come down into our humanity, we are vulnerable beings. We are vulnerable to be accepted, to fit in, to be safe, to be loved, to be appreciated. We, all of us, men, women, it's, it's really uh, the deepest longing, let's say, inside us all, doesn't matter our gender. And, and, and in some way, uh, it takes an emotional intelligence to validate that, um, that vulnerability is a strength and not a weakness, that it actually is where we receive all of our resilience and our capacity to handle real stress and to not burn out and all of the things that the companies are paying billions on trying to deal with is actually in the vulnerability the 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 the, the result the what do i want to say the the solution, let's say, is in the vulnerability, because if you just bring a little bit of understanding of emotional intelligence into a business and you can integrate it into a culture of the business, they will burn out so much less the people. They will have so much more resilience. The time that it takes to ask, how are you feeling today and, and take 10 minutes to listen will save millions of millions of dollars in burnout. It's such a, it can be such a simple thing, but it, but it just has, haven't had real education. You know, it's been labeled as weak when actually it's real strength. When a man can be vulnerable, he doesn't need to perform. He doesn't need to pretend he can, and, and, or a woman doesn't need to try to keep up with, uh, to become more something else. There's, there's, there's a, there's a, it shifts into a state of, oh, I can be myself and therefore I give you everything in a way. I can be very total and give myself to the company or to the family or whichever we're looking at, right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder as well with, with vulnerability is that being vulnerable is, is being 
brave enough to say you've done something wrong or admit mistakes. And I often wonder if, if conflict and those, you know, uh, sort of emotionally heated conversations that we have, whether that's at work and also at home, is because we don't like to say that we're wrong or we don't feel able to ad- admit our mistakes. Have you come across that in, in some of your work, sort of helping people be brave to say, I did that wrong and being able to move on? Absolutely. I, I find that in myself. <laughs> Like for my, with my wife, for example, someone who I trust totally. And then to, to find the place inside where I can expose to her, for example, my fault or that I did something wrong or I forgot something or it, it takes a certain value inside myself to do that. Like a value for the truth or a value of aligning myself with what I, what I feel, what I think, and what I say is a value as a man, like for myself as a, that I always say the truth to my wife, for example, but then I can find myself not saying the truth totally, like in the sense of, oh, I did this wrong. And then I said, oh, well, not, and I tried to make some story or something like that, let's say, and I catch myself in that. And then it, it's like, a, sometimes things come out of the, the mouth so quickly and then it's, uh, it really takes like my connection to my inner values again, which then bring me to, Hey, what I, what I said is actually not the whole picture here, or it's not really the truth. Let me say that again, or I come back to that, that exposure of myself. But in order to do that, there needs to be some sort of safety between us to do that also. Like, I know that she doesn't judge me for she might not like certain parts of my personality for sure, because that's just like, I can trigger her. She triggers That's just being married for a long time. But, but the fact of in a deeper place, I can, I trust her that I can expose myself. And that makes all of the difference because if I don't feel safe, why would I expose myself? Why would I do that? I wouldn't do that. It requires a certain, the relationship requires a certain knowing that you're not going to judge me, even though the mind judges all the time, because it's a defense mechanism of the mind to do so. But ultimately, I know that if I can expose myself to you, that you're still going to be present with me. You're going to, or you, you might even be willing in a deeper place, willing to meet me in your own humanity, in my exposure. So if I say, oh, I just lied to you, for example, I'm so sorry. It just came out of my mouth so fast. I just lied. Did you inside yourself would go, yeah, I do that too. I, I know that about myself. And then it's like you meeting me in that part of the imperfection because you know that of yourself. You know, like, let's say, oh, uh, you might feel rejected because you weren't included in a project. Someone else got the job. And then you're feeling that feeling of betray in a way or betrayal in a way, or you're feeling that thing. And you share that with me. And inside myself, I can look and I can say, I know that feeling in me. I know that feeling of illogically uh, feeling not included, feeling betrayed, and all of the feelings that come up with that are about anger, resentment. I know that part of me. So then for I, when you share with me, I can meet you in that because I know that about myself. And ultimately, that creates an alchemic effect in the contact 
where we meet each other in the humanness of the discussion. Not that, oh, yes, I'm better because I don't have that part. No, I have that part too. I know what you're talking about. I know how it feels to not be included. And I can be with that with you. And that which creates real contact with people. Everything that you've just been saying there, Salib, leads me to something I read on your, your website, which is about how your, your own well-being directly affects the well-being of others and vice versa. So if we can perhaps get ourselves into a place where, where we feel safe, where we, we know our values. You spoke about values uh, a, a few minutes ago. So I'd be really interested just to hear your, your thoughts on that and how that helps our own well-being. Yeah, I think values are somehow like pillars inside myself to to return to in a way. You know, it's like uh, like beacons of 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 clarity or understandings inside myself that I stand for that give me a sense of self in a way. You know, it's like even that I I might have parts of myself that that astray from from those values, but it's like, like having an Island inside myself that I can come back to and land on again. And that gives a sense of direction. It gives a sense of, Oh, this is what I stand for. And, and, and that's can also be something what's evolving. It can be flexible. So it's not like, Oh, this is what I stand for and that's it. But it's more like, Oh, this is what I stand for. And there's an open curiosity around that also that it can be alive it can be something that i'm inquiring into it's not necessarily stagnant inside me uh, and then that comes to when i'm connected to my values like saying the truth for example is one of my values even as difficult as it might be to say the truth or what i really feel or what i'm really thinking because the other might not always like that i might have to face the pain of separation momentarily with somebody if I were to say my real truth. But ultimately, it's because it's my value, it creates a certain integrity inside me, a certain well-being that I'm valuing myself and I'm honoring myself by saying the truth, even if you don't like it, maybe for that moment, because we're having a different understanding right now. And that's okay. We can have the conversation. But I can still share my values. That gives me a sense of well-being. Like, oh, I, I stand for something inside myself. And therefore, when I do that, I have feeling of value. Therefore, there's a, when we really land in value in ourselves, we, there's a certain openness that comes with it to listen to the other. It's like I don't have then the need to be better or more than you I can just listen because I somehow settled in myself. I'm in a certain relaxed confidence in myself that doesn't necessarily need to um, prove something on the external or in the relationship. I can kind of rest inside myself, which creates a certain capacity to listen and not just to what the person's saying, but listening from like a bodily perspective that I can really listen. I can feel you through listening. There's a certain silence that comes with listening where I'm not just preparing for the next thing to say when you stop speaking, but I'm really in a space of, 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 of waiting without an agenda when I listen to you. But that comes from 
knowing myself and trusting myself and being in a state of value in myself. And therefore I don't need to uh, go out of myself to connect and relate. It creates a, a sense of well-being in my container, if that makes sense. It, it makes total sense. Um, I think what we find so often in business and in people's personal lives is that as humans, we tend to listen with the intent to reply. So what am I going to say next? So we're never yes. listening um, rather than listening with the intent to understand. But also what you were saying about values as well is that when you those values are instilled in you, you're not looking for external validation because you, you've got everything that you need. Um, and I think sometimes if, we, if we're not connected to our values, we're always, we're always looking for that external validation, like me, agree with me. And then when somebody doesn't, this is, this is where it all starts to go um, a little bit wrong. So I was, I was nodding away there to leave because uh, it, I think it just makes perfect sense. I, actually, I just wanted to ask you just on the listening front, because you've mentioned that a few times in our conversation. How, how do you think we can listen better because I think we all think we're good at listening and it's it I, I think it's empathy and listening well is at the heart of having those deeper more meaningful conversations absolutely I agree with you I think uh, listening is a is a is a state of maturity in a way which is somehow against our conditioning because our conditioning has always been rewarded at the one who takes space the one who expresses the one who um is talking, let's say. But for those who have eyes to see, real presence is in the listener, where the one who's observing, who's taking in, you know, like even some of the great CEOs of, of our time, I've heard this so many times, saying the best, the best way to be in a meeting is to listen to everybody before you say anything. To really listen to what everyone in the room has to say and then at the end, you have absorbed all of the information, received everything from everybody. And then it's a time to, to, to share, to take space, to make, to come into good leadership. And, and I find that so brilliant in a way to really be able to listen and not just it evaluating people by what they're saying, but being able to have enough silence inside that you're able to pick up the subtle signals and energy and information flow of the mind of the person that's speaking, which says so much. You can, you can perceive so much of the person, how they present themselves, how they how cognize, how, what they're communicating. But that's only really picked up when you can sit in yourself in a state of curiosity, silence, openness, uh, that you have a sense of self, which is contained. And therefore you're at home in yourself, you're here and you're available to receive that information. Because if I go into, from my seat to inside of the other person, I'm not really here to receive. And therefore, I miss all of those subtle cues, all of that precious information, which is only really received in a state of, of, of I, I come back to that word of silence, where the mind is not like you saying, it's trying to find the next thing that I should say. When the person stops, what am I going to, how am I going to respond? Where then that state of 
that state of presence, let's say, the response arises from that intelligence rather than the cognitive, logical mind just repeating, oh, they're talking about this and I read about that already and I know what they're talking about. That's one way of responding, which is wonderful. But there's also a capacity of an intelligence inside the mind, body, heart, belly, let's say, of the whole internal sense of self, which responds from that silence. And that's another level. It's another level of being with people. And I think in in business situations, for example, for high management or CEOs or people who are leaders within organizations to develop those skills is essential. It's really essential because people feel heard, not because you repeat just what they say, but because they know when they're being listened to. I wanted to ask you, Talib, about um, Dr. Dan Siegel, because I know that he's been a, a, a massive inspiration for you. So this is um, Dr. Dan yes. Siegel is of the Mindsight Institute in California. Is that correct? Yes, Dan. Yes, he's in the Mindsight in California. I love Dan because he he brings language to the, all the brain science. And I studied trauma, which is somatic experiencing, which was from Peter Levine's work, uh, who's an incredible contribution to humanity. But he, Dan also was bringing the, the understanding really for me of, of how the brain works, how the nervous system works, also the attachment system works and how to talk about that. And I love that about his capacity to bring that into a normal language, let's say, in a way, a very complex phenomenon, very complex technical things in a way which I can understand. You know, he has these kind of hand signals about the brain, these figures of the brain and how it's uh, used these diagrams of the brain and how it functions and how it just makes sense. It's just easy to understand. And I love that because then I can bring um that type of language to people because it's complex to understand the brain i mean we don't really understand the brain totally i mean we don't understand a lot more than we did but there's parts of the brain which we are still in like wow you know uh, it's our, our our system is so incredibly complex that we don't even with all the science we have today there's still a huge mystery around our capacity of our bodies and and our brains and and his his I love Dan also because he really set out to give a definition of the mind which all of the great mediums of psychology and psychotherapies and uh, psychiatric approaches let's say could never create a definition of what is the mind, which is bizarre because that's their expertise is actually healing the mind, but they couldn't come up to say what it is. And Dan dedicated his institute to make a definition of what is actually the mind and to make like a, a, a real theory about what it is. And I love that. I love his, his contribution in that way. It could really make something tangible for people. Mm. Talib, I think you've made a lot of things tangible in this conversation that we've had. I've so enjoyed, I've so enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you for sharing your insights around how we can have those, those better, deeper, more meaningful relationships. I think not just, not just at work, but I think at home as well. Uh, what, what are your plans in the sort of weeks and months ahead? What are you up to? 
I'm going to, I'm here in Brazil with my family and we'll go to Sweden. We do some workshops. My wife and I work with couples uh, in a place in Sweden called Baravara, which we do couples retreats there. Our son is six years old. So we've been studying. My, my wife is a psychotherapist also. She, and we've been fascinated with helping couples to re connect the intimacy after children, having children, which is a huge subject for many couples that have children, because many times the children take all of uh, everything we have as parents and the intimacy, which is the core, the, let's say the most important for the child. I mean, that's it. We can go, I can go on and on, but I'm fascinated to see like the latest research, which is my experience also around that the, the most important thing for our children is actually the intimacy between us parents, not so much the attachment individually towards the child, but actually the relational feel between the parents, the intimacy between the parents is actually, which is the most noticeable and nourishing to the child. And, and, and many, many parents, we can lose that, the, the path of that intimacy and so we we dedicated a project to help people to rekindle that to come back to heal to rebond after that process so we'll go to sweden and we'll offer some a course in that and then we come back to brazil uh for the summer for the summer months and do some more courses here also so we're oh, traveling so. yeah it sounds wonderful. What a wonderful life. And to be able to work and do what you love with the person that you love as well. Really special. Talib, thank you again for yes. your time today. Really, yes. really nice thank to speak so to much. you. Thank you so much. It was a really a pleasure. Yes, and thank you too. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone listening back at home. We will be back very soon with another episode of the Body Talk podcast. For now, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.